Welcome to Bootstrapped, episode 22. I'm Ian Landsman from Userscape, and here, as always, because I can't shake him, Andre Butov of Antaire. I'm always here. <laughs> I never leave the house. That was a very Eeyore kind of <laughs> vibe right there. I am always here. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen my tail? <laughs> All right. Um, I have nothing to talk about today. We we already made something to talk about. We're going to spend the first five minutes talking about a great product idea we came up with before we got on air. It's not a product idea. It is a product idea. It's it's something I farted out. And and like I said, you reach this point in your life where you can make a product out of anything that comes out of anybody's mouth. So that's what you did. (laughs) We are going to make the next Zuckerberg right here because somebody's going to build this idea because you said you don't want to build it. So we're going to give it to the people and hopefully we, we get some credit. All right, here's, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, we were talking bullshit before the recording started because that's what we do. And we're trying to come up with with uh, some ideas for the, the topics for the podcast. And uh, when when we talk to each other, we talk on like seven different topics simultaneously. <laughs> it's like we a, do intercut like that. Yeah. And and I was saying that our editor is going to have a, a, a horrible time sitting there listening to us bullshit about forty different topics at the same time. And well, what was the rest of it? How was the rest I, of it go? I've already blocked out the rest except for the idea. Okay, you go. Said, with okay, the idea. Yes, you said. Oh, and you said you said we should put together a podcast just out of these two second bursts right. of various topics of conversation. I said we should cut them in, cut them in, cut them into the existing podcast. And I said, and I said it would be like Vine for podcasts, where it's like two second audio clips. Right. And you said there, brilliant idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that should be an app that you should build. But if you don't want to, maybe someone in the audience does. It's ten to twenty second. I know you got to play with the amount of time for audio. That you record your little snippets, it auto-publishes, it gets an RSS feed, maybe it gets a little description box for like 140 character description. Done. I have no idea what you're doing there. That's genius. And it's got to have a social aspect so everybody can find each other. You just went full Kramer and you, you don't go full Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, this is a better idea than a giant like bag of oil. <laughs> I love this idea. Right. This is a perfect idea. It may, it, there's no chance it can make any money, and <laughs> it's got social in it. And you could raise billions. You it, could raise po- billions. Podcasts are kind of hot-ish right now, you know. So you, you could you could raise money on this idea. You absolutely could raise money. I'm on sick this of idea. podcasts. Everybody's doing podcasts. If we were if we were into raising money, this would be a raising money idea right here. <laughs> All right. Um, BlackBerry got sold. Telling you, somebody's going to build this. You're kicking yourself. <laughs> not it's gonna, not too late. We can I'm cut it out. We can cut it, it out and keep no, it no, for go ourselves. Ahead. Go ahead, run with it. Whoever wants to run with it, I'll sue you later for my ten percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mentioned I like. There's got to be already an app that does this, but that, that's probably uh, the first thing. The first comment we're going to get on this episode is somebody with the link to the app that does this already. But yeah, that's all right. That's fine. I don't mind. Go ahead. All right. So BlackBerry, this this is your world. BlackBerry got sold. So BlackBerry like, got sold. I don't know. I have no idea what that means. Like I don't know either. Dollars. <laughs> I said. I still thought. I mean, I know they were worth like fifty billion at some point, but like it's pretty shocking that they're still worth four billion. So every every so. once in a while, the media points its 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 uh, bright lights on BlackBerry, and BlackBerry like screams in pain, and media ignores it for the next couple of months. And yeah. It repeats every couple of months. <laughs> yeah. So apparently, they announced a billion dollar loss for a quarter and laying 
off like half its workforce, literally 40% of its workforce. Oh, yeah, I saw uh, 4,000 people or something, right? And I don't know, a lot. Yeah. Enough to to say, what the fuck is this company doing right. again? And um, and then on the day that iOS 7 came out, or the iPhone was um, announced or whatever it is, whatever the Apple event was, BlackBerry said that it's, it's being sold and essentially going private. By um, It's a public company, so it's being sold to... Essentially, the Canadian version of uh, Berkshire Hathaway holding company, but it's an insurance company, really. For $4.7 billion, which is like less than what Apple made over the weekend. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> this is like really an industry leader like six, seven years ago. $4.7 billion, the whole thing. And isn't it just the business? Part? It's just one part of it or something, isn't it? I don't know. I wasn't something. paying attention. It's yeah, just it's such a slow, drawn-out death. But maybe it's going to be awesome, you know? To. Maybe it's going to focus it. Like, they'll they'll cut it down to just the, like, people who need whatever it is BlackBerry does, and it'll be ultra-tight, you know? It's been that way for years, though. It's just the people who want the hardware keyboard. It's just the people who want the super secure email. And I read somewhere just a blurb, just a blurb of an article. I didn't even click an article. I just liked the title. And it said, um, <laughs> BlackBerry started dying because employees finally started uh, getting the right to choose their own mobile devices. And mm. that's the reality. That's that's essentially it. But BlackBerry was popular because I don't know what kind of deal they made with Wall Street or whatever. But back in the day when I was using mobile devices, it had to be a BlackBerry because the company told me it had to be a BlackBerry. Like, here's your BlackBerry on day one. Right. There was no choice. You're just tied to it. Right? If you're on call, if you're doing support, then you're tied to a BlackBerry. And then you wind up putting your own personal shit in there. So you use a BlackBerry for half personal, half corporate stuff. So you're tied to a BlackBerry. But the second... You know, Apple introduced some security stuff and, and Android, you know, allowed you to hook into Exchange or whatever Android did to, to go into the corporate space. Then employees started choosing their own devices and that's that. That's that. Hmm. As a side note, mm-hmm. when you live on Long Island, you get those planes overhead a lot, don't you? Yeah, I got, I got the... Um, that was a loud one. I never heard one that loud on here before. We have a, like we have a small air... Uh, airstrip nearby, so we get those um, really? private private things, single sounded, engine things. Oh, they sounded bigger than that. Interesting. They're low to the ground. Nice. Sorry. Uh, no, that's fine. I like it. Um, so, yeah. Yes. What about the security aspect, though? That's big right now. I don't know. Maybe you should be building some kind of special security email thingy for BlackBerry. Meh. Meh. Yeah. It was split even back in the day. It was very like, you know, we're going to introduce these um, things for, for individuals, for regular users. And we have this huge backend for corporate users with the security email and all of that stuff. Like the president's BlackBerry had to be a BlackBerry because it it allowed for certain, you know, lockdowns. So it's super duper gold, right. solid gold, super <laughs> BlackBerry thing. But um, I mean, I don't know. Who cares? I don't care. Whatever. It's just a piece. <laughs> it's just some background. Like my entire company was based on that screwed me over, and now I have to bootstrap my company a second time. But still, nobody, nobody out there. You know, nobody's thinking about doing BlackBerry stuff. So you need to like keep an eye on this because you already have the expertise and the tools to do it. You know, maybe if they if they start to look like they might actually do anything, 
I think be the big the big uh, dog in the little pond or whatever. You know, last episode Andy was talking about QT and how QT was sold three times while his product is based on QT. Yeah. It's like a miracle that QT still survived and, and, and grew through those transitions. I mean historically speaking Companies keeping any sort of technology alive while the entire company is going through a transition is a very low chance of that happening. So right now it still seems like the BlackBerry developers blog and like the, the, the developers facing side of the company yeah. is completely ignoring the fact that there's anything going on. So they're all gung ho about, you know, code for us, code for us, code for us, code, you know, type of right. thing. So that could change, but, you know, it might not. And I don't know what's going to happen to it, but. I mean, I have so much code, so much R&D invested, years of investment in the BlackBerry infrastructure, and they completely turned around when they introduced the QNX platform and with no migration path for the existing code. So that left tens of thousands of whatever developers out in the rain, unless you're willing to rewrite all your shit and what then was uh, Flash action script. And now I guess you could do it with the um, native development kit in C++ or... Mm-hmm. Of course, like everybody could do HTML and JavaScript, whatever, but you can't do regular Java anymore. And uh, so all of our stuff is regular Java. And uh, the stuff that used to run can't run anymore anyway because the APIs don't allow for integration with like the mail system or for mm-hmm. the integration with the calling system. So none of our stuff that made money that was actually useful to people could be ported over to the new BlackBerry infrastructure because, you know, the new Blackberries allow for as much. Uh, as the iPhones allow for, which is like not that much, and just basically surface level apps. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a fan of the BlackBerry, even though I have like a whole bunch of stuff already almost ready to go on the BlackBerry 10. Really? Um, we're just not making anything off of the market space anymore. And yeah. We have a bunch of things that are there, and they're just they're just not bringing in. I mean, it's not only BlackBerry though. I I mean. Um, over over a couple over last weekend, I released an update to one of our Android apps, um, mm. Notes. I added lists to it, right? Because Victoria told me that's what we have to do, so I don't question her. <laughs> and okay. uh, no, she's really good at identifying these, like not only product niches, but also like what features need to go in or what sort of release we need or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So well, she I mean, me- that, that makes sense. It's a, I mean, I've never seen, used this app, but it's the no app. And then ha- is this the no app where you can voice record or no? No, there's no voice recording. The voice record is a, a separate app. Okay. This is just a notes app. And she told me to add lists to it. So I added lists to it and mm-hmm. um, we released it and it hit number one on something or rather. Nice. One of the Android uh, derivative platforms. Um, Amazon or whatever. So it hit number one. But it's not like number one. Back in the day on iOS, number one on the charts literally meant like hundreds of thousands of dollars a day. Yeah. But even on iOS, uh, we just finished talking about like a couple of episodes ago about um, the Simple Rockets release mm-hmm. where he hit number two. And that was 26 grand a day or something. Something like that, I think. And uh, so that already in, in tells that, you. That. Yeah, in that category or something. Yeah, so number one in the derivative Android market or whatever we hit um, is like nowhere near. It's like orders of magnitude. It's like $100 a day. Right. Okay. <laughs> so it's not even worth, you know, but because we have such a large portfolio of, of things that a couple of hundred dollars here and there uh, it just helps us. I just actually went, I've never been on this uh, Amazon app store before yeah 
It's kind of interesting. It's like you're in Amazon. I kind of like that. Yeah, That's well, they cool. used to have all they separate have like reviews and gardens. stuff. No, in there, can you write back to the view? Sorry to interrupt you. Can you yeah. like actually, you can work with the reviews there, right? Like you can contact the people and stuff, can't I don't you? Know. And some of them you could, and some of them you can't, and some of them introduced it earlier than others, but I've never taken advantage of it. Because it's worthless. It's What's the point? It's somebody who's pissed off at you, wrote a one-star review, so you're going to write it back, so what? It's going to be a, a blog comment section flame war. Yeah, I didn't know if you could actually address them, more, not just respond in, the, in line there, but like actually... Uh... Some of them do good things where... If they're really careful uh, about their relationship with the developers, uh, they allow you to email them, not the customer, but the, the store. Mm. And uh, they accept email from developers. And if you see a ridiculous one-star submission, uh, you could email and tell them that, you know, this submission, it, it doesn't provide any reasons for the criticism. It's just like a whole bunch of curse words. Right. <laughs> um, and, and the one star, uh, please take it out because it doesn't provide any value to people buying this app. It doesn't provide any value to us as developers trying to fix bugs if there are bugs that are causing this one star. It generally provides no value at all. Yeah. And they will be, they will actually take a look at it and they'll remove the, the one star review. So, but it's only a couple of them that are doing this. I don't think Google does that. But yeah, out of all I'm the sure Android, Google out of all the Android platforms, Google Play is like our least. Like we made like six dollars on it. Yeah, over months. Which so. is kind of interesting because that would be the one you'd think would be. I don't know if it's the biggest or not. I mean, probably that and Amazon are the big ones now. I would venture to guess. I mean, I don't know. They're all dying now because they used to be individual walled gardens, so you could at least. Uh, do sort of platform uh, arbitrage between them. So if you saw some app that's being popular on one, you could kind of create a version of that app on another platform that people are ignoring. Yeah. But now all of those Android. Um, so the the reason that was happening is because when you build when you build a. Um, you might think it's economics and they're trying to build their own marketplace, but it's not. The reason that was happening is because when you build an Android uh, against the Android spec. When you build a device like a Nook or the Kindle Fire or whatever, it has to abide by a certain set of of, of specifications to 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 be an Android device. But you could get you could um, be short some of those things and still have an Android device and sell it for like five dollars. Right. The thing is that Google punishes you by not allowing certain things, and one of those things is access to the Google Play Store. So you need to be uh, totally up to spec. Uh, Android implementation in order to access the Google Play Store. And apparently that's difficult to do. Mm. So those devices were all subpar Android implementations and they were all released initially just to test the market. And if enough people bought them, like if they were cheap, for example, like the Nook or something or Kindle Fire or whatever, then they will put in enough R&D to actually bring their device specs you know, up to Google's specification standards. And at that point, they could open up their walled garden versions of app stores and bring in all the Google Play uh, access, you know, all the apps yeah. from Google Play. But of course, that um, dilutes the selection of, of apps uh, that, that was inside the little walled garden ecosystem for that specific platform, Android platform. So now you have, you're competing against the same thing on the Nuke and the Kindle Fire that you were competing against in the general Google Play Store. So Mm. Well, now the Nook is done, right? I think Nook all of them, done. all of them are, there's, there's no play in any of them at all. Well, I mean, even the Nook device itself, I think, I think they're done with that. Um, I, don't know. I mean, it. I mean, I have one. I still release well, yeah, software right, for yeah. it. I, mean, I don't know if – I think there were 
uh, they had a ton of losses and like the guy running it had to quit or uh, something. Yeah, could be this time. There's issues behind all of these because they're all like little experiments with these companies, um, you know. So, like, I mean, Barnes and Noble is a, a bookstore, and when they initially released the Nook, uh, the Nook uh, device, mm-hmm. and they put up that backend for developers, it was very clear that they outsourced the entire thing. I mean, there's a there's a very clear disconnect like Barnes and Noble the bookstore, and like this this Mickey Mouse operation sort of backend that was clearly not even properly described to the developers that they outsourced it to as to what they wanted from it. Yeah. It's gotten better now, but unfortunately, I think they're not making as much money as they they thought they would off the actual device. So yeah. I think it's collapsing. But no, but the whole point is that there was a strategy at one point where you could arbitrate between the various different Android stores. But now you can't anymore because they all sort of consolidated and yeah. and uh, they they all flow into the Google app Google Play. And you know, even we talk with I talk with Gavin about this uh, and and you know we both have like tons of experience working around the marketing inside the various mobile markets. But neither he nor I could make any money at all off the Android market. Yeah, that's crazy. So You need more iOS stuff. That's the problem. I keep telling you that. Well, I can't make any money off iOS either. <laughs> you don't the, have that much in the iOS app store, though. You the, only have a couple of things, right? I, this, this is the money I'm making off of the mobile stuff. I'm only making because of UberDeck. Although I'm, I was making before UberDeck was, was alive. Because of the features that UberDeck provides now, because I was right. I'm able to cross cross. So. sell from one app customer to another one of my app customers. Yeah, um, That's the only reason that we're making a living off of mobile apps. If I wasn't able to do that, if I just had to rely on release it and however it sells, it sells, I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to do anything with the mobile market at all. I have to like, I'd have to hit 90% consulting in order to not go back to work. This is why UberDuck is genius though, see? Yeah. How's I that guess. coming? Well, actually, I have a question before we get to UberDeck. So, like, in this notes app I'm looking at, like, so it's a, more of a, like, highly stylized kind of app that looks like a notepad kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. like, where do you get those? Like, do you buy graphics? Like, do you actually have, have somebody design them? My wife designs uh, all the stuff. She designed, yeah, the, here. she designed the front page for UberDeck.com. Um, not the app, but the uh, the landing page, UberDeck.com. But is she actually making these graphics? Like she's constructing the graphics? Yeah, or she's like... a Photoshop whiz. Really? And CSS what and can't JavaScript. She do? But she hates it. Isn't that weird? <laughs> we had a few inquiries into like um, somebody asked who does it, and, and I said, no, my wife does well, she, it. Well, she's like a math genius. So now she's a math genius and a design genius. But she doesn't this like any of, of it. <laughs> she doesn't like any of it. So she could be doing like consulting for like front end web dev or UI for mobile. Yeah. All of our mobile stuff she made. She made all the UX for the uh, mobile stuff. And um, so she does the pieces in Photoshop, and then I cut them, cut them up sort of through code. Yeah. Um, but she hates it. She she can't stand CSS. She can't stand JavaScript. She can't stand Photoshop. But she's really good at it. It's really odd. <laughs> <laughs> oh so goodness. she would never actually do it professionally, but she does it for us because otherwise to outsource the stuff, it'll, it'll cost a lot of money. I mean, you know, you know how yeah, much she yeah, paid yeah. for design. Oh, it's ridiculous. These designers are killing me. Killing <laughs> me. I hope some of them are listening. So. Yeah, so UberDeck is doing well. I have some feedback from people who already implemented it in their apps and released it into the wild. So 
when they decide to send some campaigns, maybe we'll make some money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, I'm working on Quintu and uh, still doing some client work. I picked up another client project. Oh, you did? Yeah. It's all going through Coral, all through DNL. Oh, just, it is. Just different, different, <laughs> different end, uh, end clients. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully something less intense. The last one you did for them was like a year, right? So. <laughs> That's all right. I don't mind. Nice. So, um, no, I, with Uber Deck, I have another question here. Oh, yeah. So, have you been keeping up your marketing? Because, like, last time we talked, the, the episode before we talked to uh, Andy, I believe, you were saying how you were actually doing marketing. Like, you spent, like, whole days marketing. So, are you sticking on that or what? I'm bouncing between the various things, trying to see if any is worth, like, more attention than the others. Yeah. So, I tried the Twitter ads. You did? Yeah. The Twitter interesting. ads are interesting. Um, do you do because I think there's two types, right? Isn't there one where you can yeah. ju- try to get followers and one where you just insert into the stream or something, right? Yeah, so so unlike like Google ads or Facebook ads, Twitter app, uh, ads are like, um, it's 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 an interesting take. So y- you create an ad and they ask you what kind of ad do you, do you want? Do you want more followers or do you want the people? Do you want people to like link link to somewhere, right? Right. So I don't care about followers because I'm not building like. A, you know, like I'm not Coke, I'm not building a brand. Right. Uh, so I want people to, I want to do a tweet and I want people to like click the link for that tweet, which is like Uber Deck, you know, integrate Uber Deck, make more money with your mobile apps type of a thing. Um, so you create a tweet and then you have the option of saying, just make the tweet not public, make it like just part of this ad. But it's still like an, a tweet, but it doesn't appear in the, in the timeline stream for your account. Right. And then what you do is you go and you find uh, thought leaders or something in the industry or the kind of people that you want to tweet to. So if you want to tweet to mobile developers, what you do is you go find like IDEV 360, 360 IDEV, whatever. I always confuse which one it is. IDEV 360 or 360 IDEV, that conference for iOS developers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sounds right. And uh, Android Dev and, and uh, you know, Marco Arment and just, just the leaders of the industry who, who you want to target. And uh, then what Twitter does is it sends, uh, it releases your tweet to the people who are following those people. Right. So it's basically to everybody who's following like the Android developer Twitter account. Yeah. Uh, they will see my tweet when they use Twitter clients, which is I guess why Twitter stopped allowing third-party clients is because they want to show like these ads with yeah. through their own clients. Right. Well, I don't. I never understood why they couldn't just make that. I mean, they just feed the, the tweet structure is so simple. Like they could just feed you an ad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to a third party client. But yeah, true. I, I don't know. Weird. All right. So um, anyway, so how it's it like a dollar fifty a click. At right. least that's what it turned out to for my. I mean, they're not really keywords. They're just people you select. So uh, so how much would, did you set the budget? I put it at ten bucks a day ongoing. Yeah. For like a week, and I got. Oh, I don't remember anymore. It turned into like 60 clicks and like 18,000 shows or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they do is they charge you for uh, a conversion and, and, and their language uh, conversion turns out to be um, either a retweet or favorite or a, a click on the link. Mm-hmm. So you get a bunch of bots <laughs> that are like retweet or or click or whatever just based off of your keywords Mm. and they wind up doing nothing 
<clears throat> so I, I turned them off because I had the same experience apparently with it as I do with like Google ads, which means like, I don't know what the, what the hell I'm doing with this. <laughs> um, but you know, I got one sign up, but Uber deck naturally organically gets a sign up every two or three days. So I, I really tell. can't tell. Well, did you actually, did you have it set up so that no. you could really tell or not? No, no. I, I, I thought that unless it really looked promising, I wouldn't even go through the effort of setting up any kind of a, what are those things called? Sure, not sure. pipelines or what? I mean, you could do it with Google Analytics. You probably have Google Analytics in there already. I do have that. Yeah. But I can't track it. it um, Good. I, I don't know how to track it. I hate Google Analytics. It's simple. I do hate Google Analytics. I'll set it up. Eventually, you, you just got to set the link to have the UTM, um, like right things in the. But you have to screen. set a, you have to set a goal unless you yeah. set a goal. Then you yeah. just set a conversion point like yeah. on one of the page, you know, on the page the, after the registration page, basically. Or yeah, whatever. I haven't done it. honestly. What I really want to do is I want to implement at least two more features, um, to uh, and then I'll I'll be able to feel a little more comfortable with like f- more types of marketing. I want to implement push. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though initially I designed it not to have push uh, on purpose, um, because I wanted to, for the users to have the option of not relying on, on um, Apple as a middleman or Google as a middleman and just be able to send marketing campaigns without going through that. But the problem is that when you're doing marketing to people who don't know what Uberdeck is all about, like the listeners to this show will know what Uberdeck is about and they'll be able to see, oh yeah, there's, there's benefit in still being able to send out marketing campaigns without going through push. But when you're, let's say uh, Urban Airship is a competitor. Urban Airship is like huge. Right? Yeah. And uh, so, but they have everything, right? Location-based services, like like massive company now. And um, so if I want to go and I want to I see somebody on Twitter saying they're not happy with Urban Airship and I want to chime in and I want to say, have you tried um, using uh, Uberdeck? Uh, I have to you can't I have replace to. I them. have to have push so that I don't have to have a conversation as to why we don't support push. Right. Yeah. Everybody's looking for push. Basically. Yeah. So you got to get them in on push, and then you can. Right. Say, I have, you have to this have other it. better way, also. But even if it's not a, a technology that's used in the system a lot by the people who are using the, the 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 app, I have to have it for the sales point, so as not to have that evident gap. Yeah. So. Well, that makes sense. So that's something I want to put in, and of course I'm one person, so that's like next year that I'll have to yeah. finish. Well, that's like even like with Snappy, it's a lot like that. Like, there's just so many things you need to have before you can even like really be running your like your help desk, you know, through an app. Like, there's just like a baseline of like right. You want to cover a your huge ba- amount of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That if you don't have like pretty much all of it, then really like anybody who's going to make serious use of it. You know, they they basically like can't do that because it's just doesn't have core core things that are needed. So, and you got to have them too. Yeah, like you said. So marketing wise, you can say you have at least the big core stuff, and then you can kind of get more into specific details that differentiate you and things like that. So in the meantime, I've been working on Quinto, which is a much faster sort of sales cycle than uh, Uberdeck does. Um, and Quinto, I guess for those of you who haven't listened to uh, recent episodes, is uh, the next app we're, uh, I'm doing, and it's going to be geared towards um, the sort of the ideal customer is a real estate agent or a uh, car dealership uh, salesperson. Um, 
because we have we have a bunch of email tools like I was talking before about yep. uh, on a BlackBerry that we we had a tons of customers and like uh, business customers, not individuals. So all these business customers have been asking, "Where's the uh, where are these tools going?" Because we're migrating over to Android and iPhone, and uh, I say I can't bring them over there because the APIs don't support it. But if I build Quintu, which is a a mobile, uh, which is a web app and then put their accounts on the web app, then I could build them uh, mobile clients going against the web app, and I'll be able to give them those tools that way. Right. So, um, I'm, uh, so, so, so I'm building this thing because I have, I'm in a unique position that I already have customers for this. So I'll, I'll be able to get at least the first batch of people using it. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm building this thing on Laravel 4. Uberdeck was in Laravel 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm building it in Laravel 4 because that seemed like the natural way to go mm-hmm. because Laravel 3 is, I'm guessing, no longer supported. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think the bug fixes and stuff, but yeah, I mean, 4 is the way of the future. And this so, is a PHP development framework just for people who might not be aware. So Userscape is associated with Laravel. Yes, it And is. Uh, I like Taylor Otwell and I like Eric Barnes. And I like Ian Lensman. And I like everybody associated with Laravel. And sort of like there's a there's a whole bunch of uh, like circles that are circles, types of people, types mm-hmm. of developers who are listening to this show. And I like to think that Laravel people are a fair number of them are listening to the show. So I um, had a few bones to pick <laughs> with Laravel 4. Uh-oh. And I had to be very careful. <laughs> about uh, not being myself as I usually am when I talk about things on this show. Uh, So I actually uh, sort of had to um, uh, gather my thoughts. (laughs) It's not that bad. Um, (laughs) So... so, And I'm not privy to any of this, so I don't don't know what your gripe is here. So this will be interesting for me. It's it's, uh, very specific to me because I'm, I'm very... Um, I'm not very old school. I don't like type in Ed. I, I type in VI. I, I do my code in VI. But um, it, it, like you said before we started the show, it has a lot to do with the fact that I I like to stick to the old ways of doing things. And uh, I'm like the complete opposite of Eric Barnes. I'm miserable all the time and he's happy all the time. And he right. will find tools to utilize without writing a line of code. And I will write everything from scratch. So <laughs> complete opposite. But it's amazing. Um, so, uh, uh, just a couple of examples. There's no config.ssl anymore, uh, okay. which was a, a convenient, like, like little bit of sugar in Laravel three that allowed you to say, you know, in development, I don't want, uh, even though I, I'm, I'm, I'm linking to HTTPS, uh, I don't want the HTTPS in dev, but I do want it in prod. And mm-hmm. all that had, all I had to do to accommodate that is to put in a little SSL flag to true inside of the prod and to false inside of dev. And then all my little routes that are being generated will automatically be generated with the right thing, right? Yeah. Uh, that's gone. Now, the reason that's gone, and I was, I actually went out on the interwebs and I Googled why is it not there? Like I wanted to know the, the justification for the removal of this thing. And because I'm, I'm a very naive Laravel user. Like I don't participate in the forums and, and I don't go to the IRC channel. So I don't know what the um, plan 
for the right. path of this framework is, right? But Taylor Otwell has become uh, one of the leading figures in the PHP development community, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the jobs of, of a person in that position is to propagate the correct practices of the industry, right? Mm. So, so – uh, and that's that's good for the industry. Now, the the commonly accepted correct practice may now be to have a self signed SSL certificate for local development, right. because then your local development doesn't differ from your production too much, right? And things like cookies work right and stuff right. like that. And for the industry as a whole, this may be a good thing, right? But for me, as an individual <laughs> developer, it clearly makes things easier. To have a config as a self flag with a URL generation automatically choosing the correct call. So, so both the framework developer has to make decisions as to where to take the framework. And the individual developer, as always, has to make the decision as to which tool aligns itself best with what he or she is looking to accomplish. Right. Um, I don't, I work on both my Mac and the Windows and it's a pain in the arse. To get a self-signed as a self certificate through Apache on Windows, because I work on Windows as if I'm working on the Mac. Right. That it's very specific to me. I don't do XAMPP and I don't do MAMP. I do raw. My development machine is my development machine, so I have MySQL and Apache running so live you're on way, the machine. You're way, way off. I'm very. You can like you yes. should just have a virtual machine and you'd be fine. <laughs> you need so, a virtual machine. So you should, especially on Windows. I don't even know how you're surviving without a virtual machine. So, so. there you go. There are things like that. Because then you can match your actual server environment to, you know, you could just have a, you know, a virtual machine that is set up like the server. So then you actually know it's the same version of PHP and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I understand that. So, um, but I am correct because it's me. You That's understand? I, uh, I, know what's best, right. I know what's best for me because of the way I do things, right? So I'm more productive, even if it's backwards for everybody else as to the way it is. So you cannot blame Taylor for moving the library into the direction of where the industry is going because he, he's leading it now. The, the the framework is leading the industry and he's supposed to be going the correct way, not sticking behind with people like me. But for individual tools that I'm using, that's like one of the... Uh, Composer is good. I like Composer. But now there's no asset class. And you know what happens when there's no asset class? I write my own asset class. <laughs> well, there's and tons. Of, but see, that's why some of those things got removed because there's like 20 asset managers that you can just pull in uh, via Composer. That's fine. It's okay. I'm actually thinking about publishing mine because I don't like any of them. There you go. <laughs> see, this is what spurs contributions to the community. Yeah. And the asset management is horrible. Like it's actually super difficult, especially we've actually talked about this a lot. Um, because like you have the two levels of it, kind of you have like you have like just a place where you put assets and then they get published, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the one level. So okay, it goes you it puts it into a public folder or something, whatever. But then you have like all the more modern stuff, which is like your CSS is all in less, and your JavaScript is in CoffeeScript, mm-hmm. and all this other crap that goes on now. And so you can't just like take a file and move it or, or concatenate a couple files together to make it smaller or whatever. Mm-hmm. You have to. Like first compile your coffee script into JavaScript and then you have to check it and then you have to then you get into concatenating and all this other stuff and like it's all very complicated. And all the PHP libraries to do that are all like basically not maintained and outdated. Right. So you can't use any of those. So then you'd have to depend on like what most people use is node 
JS-based processors, like Grunt is a big one. That's what we use. And so then you have to depend, like you'd have to have like a Laravel dependency on Node.js, which is kind of ridiculous. You can't really do that. So that's where it all kind of goes south. Yeah, so I'm nowhere near that level right. of front line, right? right? So even my asset <laughs> class would be completely useless to... To, to to other people who well, are no, but it'll be it'll be useful to people who are just doing it like the here's normal what I way. Want my, the here's what my asset, would do it. my asset class is an associative array to say I have a whole bunch of JS files and I want these at the top and I want these at the bottom and I want these inside unready, right. and that's it. So it's basically an array with a key as to where I want it in the final file and a whole bunch of files. I bet you there's already some manager that does that. Well, I like mine because I wrote it. <laughs> But oh, no, that's but, awesome. So, that's so, a of open source. So, so, so that's my my little bone. There's okay. no, nothing to do this with Laravel. Is and all you have? I thought you had like some serious gripes. Setting up a self signed as a self certificate took me half a day, <laughs> and <laughs> well, this is because of, 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 of a lack of a of a flag inside a config file that I couldn't even figure out why it was removed, except for the fact that now the industry standard is to have a self signed as a self certificate. So there's like no technological need to have that thing removed, except for the fact that the industry accepted solution and best practice is now everybody should quote unquote have a self signed as a self certificate. I am not sufficiently technical to. To uh, and or involved in the sort of <laughs> depths of it to give you a proper response, unfortunately. But I will find out. I will ask Taylor. I don't, because, I don't care. I don't well, care. I'm just interested now. I'm curious. By, because, like, by all means, I think there was more I to it. Than that. I think there was an actual. I mean, obviously, it could probably be done, but I think there was a more substantial reason than. Uh, I don't want to influence than Taylor. just the industry. I don't want to influence. I don't want to have even a minute role to play in uh, in in shifting. Taylor's uh, opinions one way <laughs> well, or another. Don't that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. His, his opinions aren't that easily shifted. So you let, don't have let him together. go forward because he he on his second day of of PHP ness he was miles ahead of me after years of working <laughs> with it. Because just I'm not even in his league. I, I can't even see inside his ballpark. All right. So that that niggles aside. Uh, how is your four to three experience been in general? Like, have you been making use of Packages and Composer to pull in libraries? Or you yeah, just I mean, you have to. Don't, you have to, right? Well, you pretty much have to. But I mean, you don't have to use other people's libraries. You could just write your own. No, I, I, I'm using Sentry, which was a pain oh, in the okay. ass itself. We know those guys. Because Sentry's um, not a pain in the ass. Me getting over my uh, not an to hear syndrome is a pain in the ass. Right. Every time I have to use something else, I have to like fight myself over this. And like you, you tend to work through this whole thing and it's, it's you're looking through the documentation and through the way it works. Like, Oh, this cool, this cool, this cool. And then a thousand things that are magnificent and like one little nitpicky thing that right. doesn't work exactly <laughs> the way it is. And I'm like, Oh fuck it. I'm scrapping the whole thing. I'm building my own. Yeah. You know, that's like the mentality that you have to overcome to say, it's okay. If it's not a hundred percent, like you would write it, it's still like saves you like a month and a half worth of work. I've gotten better about that. I used to be more on the like, oh man, it doesn't do exactly like the way I envision it to be done. But now if anything, I also think at least in the PHP world, I mean, I think a lot of other development environments have had this for a long time, but like in the PHP world, like, you know, we're coming from like the way you all shared code was just copying, pasting off forum posts and Mm -hmm. like things like that. Like that's like how you disseminated these things. And so like, so now you have this more structured approach, which is nice. And then also, like, some of the libraries are really, like, well-crafted. And like, now I'm almost to the point where, like, 
some of them are so in depth, like they're almost like too big and good. Like, you know what I mean? Like there's like, it's almost like you're importing this whole other application because it just does like so much stuff. Like it's not just like the old days of PHP where it's like, here's a class, it does one thing, that's it. Like, and it's that it can only be big enough for you to copy and paste because anything else is like too big and we don't have any way to like share it. So like now it's like this big library that does like all tons of crazy stuff. And like you only need this like little sliver of it. And it doesn't really hurt anything that does this other crazy stuff, but it's like more documentation to go through and it just kind of like feels bigger and heavier than the old days. Yeah, sometimes. No, I agree with you. I think the industry itself is like web development is moving forward. Um, I sometimes tend to think that the tools are kind of lagging behind because the industry is moving forward so quickly. Like debugging is becoming more right, you difficult. Can't debug. It's impossible. Um, well, that's because everybody wants you to just like do, you know, um, like unit tests and things like that, which is fine. But yeah, there's something nice. We were just discussing this the other day because, like, you know, all the all the kids these days use like Sublime Text as like the main editor. Mm-hmm. But I do miss like a legit kind of IDE at times. Like I don't know. Like there's some like the auto completions almost always better, and because it'll look down into things better and cache those things and like make nice auto completes. Like Eric was showing me. There's an IDE, which I've never used, called PHP Storm mm-hmm. that does all kinds of really cool stuff. It even knows about the less files and how to parse those. So, like, you're building HTML in a Laravel blade, and it's auto-completing your CSS that's actually in a less file. So, like, that's, like, a pretty awesome time saver, you know, that you don't get in a lot of these other things. So I had this conversation with Eric over Twitter and that the, the, the he is, like... A, a genius at finding these tools right. and just like legoing them together and making stuff like work in like a fraction of the time that it would take me. But like the mentality, well, my mentality aside from just coming from the school of thought that you have to build your own for everything is that you, even if you're not building your own, you at least have to like master some, right. something right. you're using, cool. understand it completely down to its core. Like this is one of the reasons like you start using VI, like completely grok the editor, but you use like 47 different things before breakfast that you never used yesterday. And it's impossible. Your head will explode if I, if you learn you know, like one more new thing today. So he's right. He, he, you know, he, he sort of uses it in a way that suits him and he doesn't care the way, you know, it's implemented or whatever. He, he doesn't have that worry as to, Oh God, what will happen if there's a bug and I have to figure out where it is, you know? Well, it's all very interesting for me on this kind of like psychological level. Cause you know, Eric uh, bootstrapped the company before, you know, starting at userscape and mm-hmm. like, he's got that kind of like practical nature, just like I have a tool and it works, you know, and not getting so caught up in that. And you have the more like pure developer nature of, I must know, like, you know, what it's written it, it in. Has, how it, it has never brought benefits. Thing. It has never brought benefits. <laughs> it's all absolutely ethereal and theoretical. And it's a stupid characteristic to think that um, it, it, it's, it's a, you know, Spolsky did that with his whole Wasabi thing where we have to control the compiler, so we're going to build a compiler so that there's a bug or there's an optimization. We can we know everything down to the compiler. We control everything. Um, I I don't even want to do that anymore with anything I'm building or anything I'm, I'm using in my own code because I'm if I have to go through jQuery and figure out how jQuery works down to its inner atoms, I'm just I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. It's just impossible. It's just too much, too many moving parts these days. You can't, it's not easy to figure those things out anymore. You yeah. just have to, you just have to hope it all works. So there's absolutely before. no benefit in having the mentality that you have to know things on the inside out. I think, I think Eric's approach to work is much more fruitful than, than like 
any theoretical reason as to why I, I might want to know that in the depth of every single thing I'm using for development. The uh, the first you know step to solving your problems is to acknowledge you have it. them. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, my experience. The only thing I know about VI is I hate when I get stuck in there because I have to like close <laughs> the terminal. <laughs> yeah, I can't get out. I can't do it. I can't edit anything. Nothing works. You try typing something, it doesn't work. So like I just I just have to close. Escape like, calling Q. Yeah, exactly. That's the, isn't that like totally ridiculous? Like, <laughs> who could possibly remember that? It's, it's a it's a muscle memory. Uh, it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, like that's just like torture that somebody would even force themselves to learn such thing. <laughs> Actually, forced is is. Uh, I, I have the feeling that a lot of people sort of get stuck in VI because of that. Because when I got into my first job, I I I had to do VI because it's like this company uses VI or you're not in this company. <laughs> so I, I, had to I do guess VI. that's proper motivation. You know? uh, so, but ever since then, it's really useful because it's like the only thing that's on a, on a bootstrapped box when you open one up. Oh yeah. That's always there. I mean, I always hate when nano is not there. I'm like, I just want my nice safe nano. It's, it's, it's so it's amateur. It's simple. There's no worries. You're not going to accidentally mess anything up. So safe, safe, warm, comfortable place. <laughs> yeah whatever um the older i get or the more i'm in this stuff the less i care about like the tools and the the religious wars and all that i'm like whatever yeah. i'll use flash and <laughs> notepad well it's also i mean it moves i mean it's like crazy moving even faster than ever before like, you literally like can't keep up with any of it it's ridiculous i agree um all right, so are we done on this topic? Because I got some, I got something I'll take. Yeah, I didn't mean to pick on Laravel. It's just it's like ninety percent my own personality, and it happened to it, the Laravel fork had to happen to be the catalyst. I suggest it. you fork it and you add the flag fork in. It. Yeah, you fork it and then I you run, your, you can only, run your own fork. I only fork threads and spaghetti. I don't you fork. Could, code. You could fork. You could uh, you could name it like um, <laughs> Laravel four for Laravel three users or something. No. That could be your fork no, name. I don't, I don't, it has, it's always just Laravel four, but with like this one tweak. I don't GitHub or Git or or any of that. Oh, the GitHub is good. I, no. The GitHub, I like the the kids using GitHub have it right. I, I download like, I like the zip GitHub. and I put it in my subversion repository. <laughs> No, you're already not doing that because now you're in the composer. So, you know, and I, I feel because, like we've talked about this the whole time, but yeah. composer is this thing that like lets you pull in other code libraries automatically. It's a dependency manager. Yeah, there you the go. The concept is not new. No. The concept for any of this, none of this is new. This is why yeah. you could utilize a tool that's like just came out yesterday and be fine with it because all of these things were invented in the 60s. <laughs> They're just new to PHP. It just took 50 <laughs> years to get here. Um. What right, else? So I, what I, got? I, got, I got something to talk to you about. Yeah. And I got to get this off my chest because this is all we talk about at UserScape. And, but I know that you're not interested in this. Is this Breaking uh, Bad? Yeah, Breaking Bad. <laughs> we got to talk about Breaking Bad. How can we not talk about Breaking Bad? We're doing a podcast the Friday before the, the series finale of Breaking Bad on Sunday. And we must discuss it. And I can't believe you've never even seen an episode of it. I saw a 37 Signals post this morning that they did some sort of a thing off of Breaking Bad that they opened an account allegedly ran by Walter White, a base camp account or something. Oh, I saw that. Oh, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize they did it. I did see that account though. Yeah. I don't know if one of their customers did a spoof or they set something up just to play off of the insanity that all you people are happy to be going through. Of course, I'll watch it, but I'll watch it when, when it comes out on DVD. God, I wish I thought of that. That's five years genius. from now. Got to have a snappy Breaking Bad something or other. Yeah. 
But anyway, all right. So you, you can't just watch the finale. I'm not you have to finale. listen. If you start today, right now, after we get off, I don't watch TV that way. Start at like season three, and you could be into, in done with season five by the time the finale. I'm still working on Babylon Five. What <laughs> Babylon Five? <laughs> I watch TV shows when I could have the whole thing to go through in one in one. Yeah, season. that's what we're talking about. It's all. It's out not there. even over yet. They got one episode left. Fine. When it comes out on DVD, I'll watch it. Oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> All right. When, when, you, when you watch it, then I'll have to watch it. I'll rewatch it while All you're right. watching it for the first time. And then we can turn this into an all Breaking Bad podcast. Yeah. I don't we'll do like a year. Happen. No, it won't be a year. We'll do like a month of this podcast where we just talk Breaking Bad the whole, the whole time. Uh, so if you, you've never seen anything. So I can't even say, hey, what do you think is going to happen just on the two no, episodes you've seen? I haven't seen anything. I do like the uh, analyses of uh, the various um, – uh, titles for the episodes. Yeah, the way they break them down into the the chem- chemical name of the various uh, things that make up um, crystal meth or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just I think yeah, any any. Uh, um, it's for the people that are trying to figure out what that code on that thing on uh, Lost is. <laughs> well, yeah, that it's not that I don't think they're that crazy with it, but yeah, the title, the actual titles for each show usually have multiple meanings too, though. Yeah, but they tie everything. See, it's much better than Lost. What did you watch Lost? No. I like Lost a lot. But Lost, the first three seasons were great. And then the back three were just like, meh. Because they didn't really have a plan. It wasn't all tied together. And Breaking Bad, I don't think they had a full plan either. Like, they've admitted that. But but they've tied it all together. It's so tight. Like, it's unbelievable. The tension, the detail, little subtle things. It's amazing. Good so writing of- and good acting trumps, trumps all. Oh, the, the writing and the acting, the production, just the quality of, like, the video production and the lighting and things is insane like i don't know if anybody's gonna be able to make a tv show that's good again it's like really it's gonna be the best show ever by like a wide margin it's crazy all right Can, this is your contribution to today's episode <laughs> this is ridiculous i was hoping you at least had seen like one episode. they've been running the marathon i was hoping no. you eyeballed one or something you know all i watch is bubble guppies they're the explorer <laughs> oh my goodness and hgtv and the food network this is ridiculous. And I don't really watch that. It just runs in the background when I code. Yeah. I've been, I was watching, uh, I, I kicked up, we've talked about this on here before. The other day I had Wall Street running, running as my background uh, mm-hmm. movie. So good. I had to resist just literally quoting every line into Twitter because I could just quote every line. <laughs> it's so good. Every line is like perfect. It's great. But you know what I thought was interesting? I was talking to uh, the guys in the chat about this. Like, so that movie is like 1987, mm-hmm. something like that, 86, 87, something like that in there. And like there's a scene where uh, Charlie Sheen, you know, is a character and Martin Sheen is also in the movie and they are actually father and son in the movie as well. And so he's Carlos Estevez now. Get it right. Ah, whatever. So he's there <laughs> and he's talking to his dad and he's like, dad, like, you know, he makes basically $50,000 a year and he lives in Manhattan. And the dad's like, and he's asking for like a few hundred dollars from his dad. And the dad's like, what the hell are you doing with all your money? Like, I don't understand. You know, I made $47,000 last year after working 40 years or whatever. And you made 50,000 and you're borrowing money from me. And he's like, you know, I got 40% taxes. And he's like $15,000 a month in rent for this like dive he rents. And I'm like, it's crazy that even back then that that would be like an example that they would use in a movie is like $15,000 a month, uh, not a month. It was a year. It was a $50,000 a month a year, but still like 
that's in a lot of areas, right? That's still like, you know, it's more than $1,000 a month, $1,200 a month or whatever. Like that's still like decent, you know, pretty solid rent. And like this is like a 20-year-old, more than 20, a 25-year-old example of rent in Manhattan. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, people – are surprised, but like none of the none of the stuff is exaggerated. Like yeah. uh, we we had a, a Twitter thing meme going yes. around that uh, twenty five castles, actual castles that cost less than apartments in New York City. Um, and um, but unfortunately, I actually looked through a bunch of those, and a few of those are actually mistakes off of uh, Craigslist postings. Because there, there, there's no house in Jamaica Queens that sells sells for three point five million dollars. It's just not a thing. <laughs> yeah. um, even that, that's even just too out there. For Manhattan people. is fine, but like, but like you watch HGTV and these people are coming from uh, where Midwest or something or Texas. Texas is the best. One hundred twenty thousand dollars for a mansion, a mansion right. for one hundred twenty grand, and they come here and it's like uh, it's literally like seven million dollars for uh, one bedroom. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's like 800 square feet if you're lucky. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to believe. Like that's where it's like crazy when you see like even like you know somebody making a real solid developer salary, it's like it's you know they're they're basically living like lower middle class at best. Like you know yeah. what I mean like if you're living in Manhattan trying to live on that, it's like anywhere else in the whole country would be like, "Oh man, like you're you're in the 1% you know, with that salary. And here you're like, you're definitely not. It's crazy. But yeah, and then, but man, 30 million people managed to live around here, which is crazy to me. It's like, you'd think everybody would run away. But apparently the money's here. People who live in Manhattan don't care about, um, like the young people who live in Manhattan, like in the village, they'll they'll sit like three, four roommates to an apartment because they don't spend any time indoors. They yeah, that's what I was just that's what yeah. I was just telling them. I was like, uh, actually, the main thing is if you're willing to have roommates, then you know you can you can still live all right. I'm it's just stuff. about the life of the neighborhood. It's not really about your you go home to sleep. That's yeah, true. that's true. Um, that's true. Uh, the buy all button. Okay, buy we're, all. we're over an hour, but I just want to cover the buy all button. All right. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You you had the link. I don't know the background. Yeah, I'll, so I'll give the background quick, uh, and we'll put the link in the notes. But basically, is a mobile app guy who uh, they sell like an ebook. Uh, well, it's a book. It's an app for children that you can in-app purchase like children's books into it. So you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't look at it that closely. It's not like famous books. I don't think it's like custom books. They wrote, you get like one free when you get the app and then you can, um, you know, buy more books that load into the app. So it was kind of interesting. Cause it was like, I think they had it out for like already a year, which is kind of interesting. Cause like two, we always talk about mobile as like, you know, pretty much you like kind of get your hit right away and it's hard to, you know, kind of grow it over time, like a SaaS business where like, all right, you don't start out with a lot of customers, but every customer you get is additive and, you know, it just grows, grows, grows. You know, the mobile is kind of like you get your big hit, it takes off, it doesn't, and then you might stay at some kind of baseline, but you're not getting like consistent growth. You know, if anything, it's declining, 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 and then baseline and maybe get some blips here or there. So, uh, yeah, so it was interesting. So they they had this model for some number for a year, basically, or whatever, and it was kind of doing okay. And then they changed it so that the in-app purchase they offered, like the primary thing they began offering, the one they focused on was just a one button to buy all. So instead of like going through and buying all ten books, like before it was just individual purchases, 
Uh, they made it simple to buy all of them. And it was a pretty, it was a high price because it was like, if you buy all of them, like if you actually went through and bought all like 10 books, it was like almost $27 or something like that. And so then they made this buy all button that was like, I think it was like 14 bucks or something, 13 or $14. And you get them all. So you basically get a half price. And uh, then like their sales since they did that, like shot up like crazy. And uh, because they've made it real easy for people to buy this huge, you know, all of them at once and for a lot higher dollar value than, you know, the average customer, which was just buying one or two, you know, for, a do- you know, $2 each or whatever it is. So instead of making $4 on that person, they're making 13 now, yeah. which is kind of an interesting model. I thought that seemed kind of relevant if you're kind of in the mobile space, like. Well, everybody's doing this. This isn't new. <laughs> yeah, it's new to me. So. It's like, it's been, I've been in the mobile space for so long that like, of course, like, well, why are you talking about this? Everybody's doing this. <laughs> this is uh even even like the one app we have an i well, not the one app but like we have nightstand uh, mm-hmm. on iOS and it has themes in it and we ship it with like three themes and the rest of the themes are uh, in app purchased for a dollar mm-hmm. and then we have one button that says buy all for like four bucks and that's like the number one selling in app purchase it's like right. everybody who's doing in app payments has a buy all thing in there because that's like the mo- it turns out Andy Bryce last episode said that marketing is based on human psychology the mechanics change but the principles stay the same it's very true this is like this is when I had the unlimited plan with AT&T on the phone mm. You could do unlimited data and you pay whatever, a hundred bucks a month for it, whatever it is. And I kept that plan because it was unlimited data for years. And then I went back and I looked at the monthly usage of data and how much I've been using it. And the most I've ever used is 35 megabytes in a month. (laughs) And their lowest, cheapest data plan is like a gig or something. I've never even come close to to breaking the limit on a data usage. On the lowest, cheapest plan for like 15 bucks a month, and I paid 100 bucks a month because it's unlimited. It's like human psychology, you know. all the mobile apps that have in-app payments have that thing where it says just just buy the whole thing, and you're you're removing the decision-making process. You just yeah. say here here's your unlimited all-you-can-eat shrimp buffet. <laughs> just pay this price, and we'll just it will just floor you with with stuff. And it know? does also you yeah that kind of idea of the discount like you're getting something for nothing. You just just that. there's just no thought involved. Just press this button and you get everything that's that you could get. You're like elite now. But so now I was thinking although selling stuff for children is kind of different cuz people will spend anything for their kids versus like stuff for themselves, but like have you tried different prices on the nightstand app? Like maybe they should each be $2 and the button should be 8. Yeah, and I don't like play with prices too much. You yeah, should, I don't, I don't and it's, pay attention. That's the one thing they make easy in there, right? Like you can change the prices pretty easy, can't yeah, you? Yeah, you can. But then you have to like you have to run it for a while, and then you have to remember a month from now that you did this. That's what <laughs> the calendar's ahead. for. You <laughs> but you know me. You, know, you, ma- you can double the amount of money you make. You know me in marketing. I just send it out there. They, they, if they don't take care of themselves, that I'm not fucking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sales. That's not marketing. I know. I know. That playing with the price. You, that's something you should. That's an easy one. So the thing with this is that you got to have a portfolio of products. Or something that's purchasable that's that's that will appeal to the same audience, right? Coffee cup software has been doing this for ages. Yeah. Uh, if you go, they just make stuff for, um, like designers, I guess. And it's not really design. It's it's like casual designers type mm. of a thing. It's like uh, CMSs, but more like uh, wussy wig CMSs and 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 like f- file FTP uh, clients, but like for for people that are not really technological so they make like lightweight designery yeah. clip art 
type of things. Like I don't know how to describe it, but they're they're uh, they have a ton of products, like ninety products or something, and they have a really loyal follower base. So they have like things where you could click a button and for like three hundred dollars you could buy like ten thousand dollars worth of software. <laughs> so I mean, it works. It, it, it's 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 like a very it's like one of those things that Andy Bryce described as human psychology. If you if you're in a position where you have a bunch of things that are that appeal to the same audience and and uh, you have any sort of control over how you're selling them, by all means, package up all of them and put a thing that says get them all for whatever X amount yeah. of dollars. That will be your top seller. It's just a mentality thing. You should have wrote a blog post on this. You would have had a whole new audience of people who uh, didn't know about this. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think we should wrap it up on that. I like that. I think that's going to be the title. Meh. Meh. Uh, Meh. Sounds good. That or uh, whatever you said in the beginning there. <laughs> what did I say in the beginning? I don't remember. Something about Eeyore. Well, I oh. said Eeyore, but you said something <laughs> like Eeyore. Uh, all right. All right. Anything else? What's no. Got? Wrap it up. Go, right. Oh, yes, we do. We do, We have a oh. business software coupon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to the uh, Business of Software Conference, and we almost got you to go, but you're not going. So Business of Software Conference is... I guess it's at the end of October here. I go every year. Uh, it's you know it's always really good. A lot of bootstrapper type folks there, and interesting conversations and things going on. So uh, the guys who run it uh, give us a coupon, so ten percent off tickets um, with the code Bootstrap, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. But uh, that's pretty cool. Take the edge off that. I know they don't have that many tickets left, um, so. Should probably check that out, but I'll be there. So if anybody's there, I am. I am. I am I'm leaving the house once. I'm leaving the house for. Uh, I got you to leave. The you house. got me to leave the house for. My wife was cracking up over the Twitter threads yesterday about. <laughs> <laughs> you said Andre's finally leaving the house, and then somebody I forgot who it was said, "Why is it on fire?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm leaving the house for the perch meetup. Uh, Rachel Andrew, who sells Perch with uh, Edge of My Seat as the yep, company. I finally remember the company, yes. Who yep. was a guest. She was a guest on, on the show a couple of episodes ago. So Perch, uh, they're having a meetup for uh, you know people in their circle, I guess, and Perch users and whatever. And it's just an informal thing in Brooklyn. Uh, sometime before, I guess, Brooklyn Beta starts. Yeah, it's uh, October 8th. Yeah, so I'll put that. I don't know. I think they're kind of just open on that. I'll link that too. Yeah, if they're not filled up, if you're going to be in town, um, I don't know why the hell anybody would be in Brooklyn. But if you're going to be in the Brooklyn area, October 8th. We've uh, gone over this before. The new Brooklyn is not your Brooklyn. Your Brooklyn Brooklyn is different from this Brooklyn. The new Brooklyn. Lipstick on a pig. And this is in the nice Brooklyn. Lipstick on a pig. <laughs> All right. So come join us if you want if you're gonna be around there. Yeah, me and Andre in the same place at the same time. Yes. And other wonderful people too. So it should be cool. All right. Uh you wanna close it out? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um all right. Well thanks everybody. Uh remember hit us up on iTunes there. Um we love the good ratings, lots of good ratings, which is amazing. Like I that actually I find that personally quite gratifying and shocking at the same time. So that's uh, it's really cool. And I think what we're going to be doing from now on is linking to the discuss forums. So if you haven't checked that out, um, we have like a discussion forum that's kind of coalesced around the podcast. So uh, comments and things of that nature about the show 
uh, we'll go over there from now on, but we'll link that in the show notes as well. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Andre, thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next time.